Want a better way to hire? We asked businesses across Australia. We trialled Liam through Youth Jobs Path and then hired him as a design assistant. Liam is so keen to learn. He gets along with everyone and we get help with wage and training costs. Louise gave me a go and now I've got a job. Yeah, it worked for us. To find motivated young staff and get up to $10,000 in assistance, search Youth Jobs Path. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra, spoken by Jay Green, L Nobes and L Nicolau. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan, and I'm here, as always, with global markets and economics reporter for Business Insider, David Scott. Fantastic to be back. Thank you. Um, and our guest this week on the show is Elias Haddad, who is Senior Currency Strategist at the Commonwealth Bank. Elias, thanks very much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Paul and uh, David, for having me here. So look, on the agenda, um, August was a bit slow, um, I think we'd all admit, um, on, on global markets. Uh, but the wheels are starting to turn again, um, and so we have some pretty chunky topics um, to, to get into. Um, we're going to look at the, the CapEx data, which is um, you know, the private investment uh, data for the Australian economy, um, released by the ABS this week. Um, there was also some retail sales data, which um, was, um, I think, caught people by a little bit of surprise, being very flat. Um, we might take a quick look ahead at the, what the GB, GDP figures um, for next week. Australia's coming up on, um, it'll be 100 consecutive quarters um, of, um, of growth um, without having two consecutive negative quarters. So 100 consecutive quarters without a technical recession. Um, uh, Australia brings up the ton um, and gets to take its... Uh, its helmet off and wave the bat around. Uh, so um, we'll have a chat about that. Um, now we're two currency experts in the room too. Um, we're going to have a look at the outlook for the Australian dollar. Um, uh, we've got an important Fed meeting um, in the United States end of September. And um, we've also got the RBA meeting in September. And with um, Elias coming from, uh, from Canada, uh, another part of the great Commonwealth of Nations, um, we're going to talk about uh, so, some of the things that we find uh, surprising um, about uh, living in Australia. But first, to CapEx. Um, no doubt the headline figure was ugly. This is always a really interesting release because there's a whole different bunches of ways that you can look at it. Um, so the, the news for, um, for Australia's upcoming GDP report was pretty good. Um, now, CapEx did fall 5.4% uh, um, in seasonally adjusted terms, and that was below expectations for a decline of 4.2%. Um, private business investment so important for the transitioning economy. Um, but the really important number, um, at, at least from my perspective, was that the estimate for this financial year uh, was sitting at $97 billion, uh, sorry, $105 billion, while the market was expecting just $97 billion. So a little bit of a beat, and maybe uh, we're seeing um, business investment starting to turn the corner uh, in Australia. David, this is one of the more complex releases that we get from the ABS, right? So I want to take a bit of a step back. Can you talk us through what's involved in the CapEx report? And I'm sorry about putting you on the spot with this. <laughs> what's involved with the CapEx report? A lot of spreadsheets is the, uh, is the simple answer. Um, look, uh, it's just a, it's a snapshot of what uh, business investment has been over a particular period of time. In this case, uh, it was the June quarter. The big take out of it was not so much about what we're looking back for Q2, but it's more so looking for the estimates for the year ahead. Uh, and that's where there was a real bright spot in the, uh, in the, in the, in the data. Uh, the estimates were revised up, as you said, to $105 billion, uh, far greater than what the $89.2 billion initial, uh, the second estimate was that was released in the March quarter. 
uh, and also more than the 97 billion expected. So, um, and probably more so than the actual headline increase in that estimate was it was being driven by the non-mining sectors. Uh, that was the other uh, pleasing thing. Obviously, we've all heard about the capex cliff uh, from mining sector uh, that continued today. The mining industry was the complete reason why there was such an ugly headline print. If you strip that out of the uh, the June figures, uh, there was actually you know there was a small increase in expenditure from the non-mining firms. So, um, Elias, look, everybody has their different way of looking at this. Um, so, what what was your take? Um, I think the bottom line here, in terms of the Q2 capex report for Australia, that it was overall encouraging, despite the sharp contraction in Q2 headline capex. And the reason is, you look at the details, the the non-mining. CAPEX spending for Q2 actually increased. So the drag in Q2 CAPEX really came from mining. Now, as David correctly pointed out, the, the other encouraging part of the report was the uh, third estimate of 2016-2017 uh, CAPEX capital spending. And on that front, it, there's been a pickup uh, compared to the previous estimate uh, uh, three, three months ago. And even more encouragingly is that the non-mining capital spending plans also picked up. So that's consistent with the RBA's uh, view that we're, we're going to see eventually a, uh, or that we are seeing at the, at the moment a recovery or a tentative recovery in non-mining business investment. Is one of the problems here that um, when you look at the mining sector, uh, just the, the, pro the scale of the projects involved in building a mine and mining infrastructure are absolutely huge. I remember there was one CapEx report um, maybe about a year ago uh, which saw, saw this huge one-off spike, and it was because of a train um, being imported from Korea. Um, but there's all these other things, you know, the, the, the boring machines, the huge trucks, and um, very, very expensive pieces of machinery that they bring in the mining sector. With the sectors that the uh, economy is now um, rotating towards, in terms of education, um, healthcare, tourism, um, are, is it that these are less capital intensive? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, and, and that's why we're not expecting to have a significant, um, headwind from, uh, from or, or significant tailwind, I mean, from business investment going forward. But the, the fact that you're seeing a transition away from the drag from, non, from mining towards non-mining is an encouraging development for the RBA. Now, will that stop them from cutting interest rates later in November? I don't think so, because right now the RBA is more concerned about infl or slow inflation rather than the pace of economic activity, which is indicated by either the CapEx report or even retail sales. So, so bottom line here is that it was an encouraging Q2 CapEx report, but it does not rule out the risk of an other RBA rate cut in November, especially if we have a very soft uh, Australian inflation in Q2. Colgo, it was interesting you just mentioned, um, you said education and healthcare were, uh, were two sectors that weren't as capital intensive as, uh, say, like the mining sector. But the one thing that you must remember with this report is that this only captures CapEx plans from select industries, and actually education and healthcare, and let alone the public sector, isn't captured in this report. Uh, so what you're going to do, that it will feed into the fixed capital formation, but it's only a partial picture. Uh, so that's something you've got to keep in mind as well. It's not the be-all and end-all in terms of you know, capital expenditure plans for all Australian businesses. It's just a select group of industries. 
Right, that's interesting. So um, when you look at fixed capital formation, basically the areas that are going to drive job creation uh, in Australia are not picked up in the CapEx um, because essentially, right, they're services industries. So um, you don't need to, you know, buy a part or a, um, a, a physical thing uh, in order to uh, to create a job that's um, that's going to be uh, servicing a person and, be, and becoming a taxpayer. Exactly, and like the, the one thing as well, people should remember with this capex report is that the, the picture I got from it is that the capex drag that was being caused by the mining sector slowing down in terms of their, their investment, for me, the drag on economic growth, whether it's actually going to be this quarter or. or maybe last quarter or maybe the next quarter coming up, I think that the actual drag on economic growth from declining capital expenditure is now past us, uh, which means that there will be other sectors of the economy that will hopefully go and drive growth forward and that with a lesser impact there, hopefully we'll go and see um, a nice lift in GDP. We, we hope, of course. That's very interesting, David. And, and you know, but we, 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 what we're talking about here is also very cyclical. There's also a longer-term structural downtrend in business investment. And, and one of the reasons is that the current economic environment we are working in is much less capital-intensive, meaning that firms don't need to invest as much uh, to, to, get, uh, to, to get as much a return on their output than before. You look at you know capex investment for you know the big companies are Google now. They, their uh, capital intensity ratio is way less than companies like GE back in the days. So you know we, we th there is this structural downtrend here happening in business investment all over the world, not just in, in Australia. And the nature of where the big job creators um, are, are, are creating the, all of those new jobs. They're just quite simply, it's not mining manu manufacturing um, that's, plant. That's right. They're in, in, in other industries where wage growth is also not as, uh, not as high as in the mining industry, for instance. And that's, why you're all, that's another reason why wage growth has been fairly muted. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the market reaction to this, because CapEx, because it's such a vast um, release. Elias, what happened uh, when, when the ABS uh, re released the data today? Well, we had a knee-jerk upside reaction in the Australian dollar, uh, because overall, I was saying earlier, I mean, the, the, the details of the Q2 CapEx report was overall encouraging, especially in terms of the capital spending plans for the future. But another factor that essentially uh, supported a stronger Australian dollar, dollar today was the better-than-expected Chinese manufacturing PMI. And on that front, the chi China's manufacturing PMI ticked up above the 50% threshold, which is usually consistent with industrial production growth. And this, in turn, will essentially lead to a further recovery in commodity prices, which bodes well for Australia's terms of trade and is uh, supportive of the Australian dollar. I found it remarkable that uh, the PMI went and hit us. The, the, the manufacturing PMI report was uh, the highest level since October 2014, just days before the G20 meeting uh, is going to be held in China, and I'm sure that uh, raised a few eyebrows across the market. Uh, certainly from looking at my Twitter stream uh, in the minutes afterwards, there were certainly a few people casting doubt about the, uh, the accuracy of the figures. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, obviously, as Elias uh, said, uh, the China PMI data came out. It beat. That came out at 11 o'clock, and then... At 11.30, we had the double whammy of the retail sales report, which was woefully bad, uh, flat month-on-month, month where they were expecting a 0.3 increase. 
but uh, the capex overrode that essentially. Uh, you know, the the plant uh, machinery and uh, equipment uh, figure, which directly feeds into GDP, grew. I think it was 2.3 percent during the quarter, uh, which obviously goes. That's going to go and help headline GDP uh, next week when it's released, uh, and then. Couple that with the uplift in uh, expectations for capex spend uh, in 2016-17, uh, and you saw the Aussie dollar. You know, it was probably 30, 40 pips higher than where it was initially before the data. So you're listening to the Devils in Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. Now let's um, quickly talk about that uh, that retail sales data, David um, uh, and Elias. The, we had 0.0. We don't. One of the things with retail sales is generally in, a, in an economy where very, you know, the the, the household consumption is so important um, to um, the overall level of economic activity. You kind of don't want to see retail sales taking a backward step, right? Because uh, it's just so huge. So many dollars go go through the tills of um, of retail businesses every every month. So. Dead flat. The market was expecting what would be a sort of fairly conventional rise of 0.3%. Came in flat. Um, this has been a report that's been starting to print some low numbers um, throughout this year. Um, so um, this month, I think the driver was mainly a huge drop in department store spending, which was about 6%. Um, uh, but obviously, this is an important indicator of consumer enthusiasm and and how people are feeling about uh, you know spending up on a few things um, and there's one other little maybe complicating factor is it's measured in dollar terms so when you've got an environment like this very low consumer price inflation a very high, high level of competition between uh, retailers um, you know keeping a lid on prices um, but when is it time to get worried about retail sales growth. I wouldn't be worried. Listen, I mean, and, and let's not even look into all the nitty-gritty of this retail sales report. Fine, it was flat, but uh, you look at leading indicators like we have a fairly encouraging employment conditions in Australia, uh, rising house prices. All that is supportive of consumer spending overall. Certainly, uh, slow wage growth uh, will, will curtail excessive cap consumer spending. But uh, overall, you know, expect consumer spending in Australia to remain a key driver of GDP growth going forward, largely because of favorable employment conditions and a strong housing market. Yeah, so um, job creation still remains um, okay. Um, yeah, um, what do you see when you look at the the, um, the monthly jobs data now? Um, I mean, um, how much do you? Uh, how much um, credence do you put on the on the jobs data? Um, you know, say compared to in markets you've worked in before, um, we tend to get pretty small jobs prints uh, in Australia, and also there's all these questions about the data lately. So, um, what do you see um, on, on the jobs? I think the jobs well, when you look at the employment, the monthly employment report out of Australia, and the, the number that's actually quite interesting to look at is the uh, the underlying or the trend unemployment rate. And that's been drifting lower, and recently it's stabilized, but it's off its peak about for, from about a few years ago. So it's still indicative of an improvement in the Australia's labor market. Now, it's certainly not all rosy here because the underutilization in terms of the unemployment rate in Australia is still very high. So there's still a lot of people that are working part-time that want to work full-time. And when in such a scenario, I mean, it's... it's uh, it, it's a little bit of a concern, but generally the trend in terms of the unemployment rate is going down, uh, signaling that or in, in favor of a, of a, I guess, encouraging Australian labor market, which will support consumer spending going forward.
Yes, the uh, underemployment and underutilisation rates of the uh, the labour market probably mask a bit of the, uh, the labour market slack, which is still in the, the Australian labour market. And you relate that back to the uh, the retail sales report we got today. The flat nominal reading, of course, you no know, in volume terms, real terms, uh, you no know, volumes are, are okay with that being spectacular, but. Because there's this labour market slack and because you've got the combination of, uh, of, of intense price pressure and uh, new technology driving prices down, uh, weak household income, wages growth, they're all contributing to you know, people having less money in their pockets per se to go and spend uh, in the stores. Uh, when you put those two together, you know, competition and very weak wages growth, largely due to the fact that uh, you know, you've got a bit of uh, underutilisation in the labour market, no, I think it explains a lot. Retail sales, uh, no, in annualised terms now, they're running at 2.7%, I think, which is the lowest level we've seen in three years. Yeah, um, and there's, there is a, there's one little indicator in there, which I always sort of, one little line item in the, uh, in the retail sales report, which I always look at, which is cafes, uh, restaurants, takeaways. And basically, for me, that's about people going, uh, you know, Oh, why not? We'll just get, we'll just get takeout or we'll go out to, to get some pizza or whatever. And that was up by a sort of healthy, I think, 1.2%. Um, so that's always, you know, a little bit of a counterbalance to, um, to the, to the flat overall reading. Um, okay. Now, um, speaking of job creation, one economy that has been doing this spectacularly well has been the world's largest, the United States, an absolutely stonking, uh, U.S. jobs report for July. Uh, released at the start of August, um, almost 300,000 jobs created across the economy uh, over that month. Um, that report kind of changed a lot of things. Um, it, um, you know, there was a lot of people in the market thought that maybe the Fed would um, do one uh, interest rate uh, hike later in the year. Um, obviously, the interest rate outlook for the United States very, very important for what um, for um, global currency markets and. Um, and for the bond market too. So um, it's, it's, what's happened now is that we're looking to um, the U.S. jobs data that, um, at this weekend, and it's uh, Thursday when we're recording, so we don't know the number if you're listening on, uh, on Saturday morning. But basically, if it's big, September is really in play for the Fed, isn't it, Elliot? Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right, Paul. And the, what's more important than the pace of job creations for the U.S. August non-farm payrolls report will also be the pace of U.S. average hourly earnings growth rate. Uh, because remember now, the, the U.S. economy is close to full employment right now. So, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising to have some fairly low job or non-farm payrolls gains of around 150,000 or you know, even lower than that. Uh, what's more important at this stage, considering that the Fed is trying to uh, pick up or uh, lift inflation, is to see the pace of wage growth in the U.S. pick up. And, and looking at, uh, the, at various leading employment indicators out of the U.S. and the fact that the, the underutilization in terms of the unemployment rate in the U.S. has, has shrunk significantly, we're looking for upside risks to the U.S. average hourly earnings growth in August. And if that happens, even if there's a, even if there's a soft non-farm payroll gains, then the U.S. dollar will rally because a Fed funds rate hike in September, or the odds of a Fed funds rate hike in September, will increase significantly. Yeah, I totally agree. The, uh, the wages, average weekly earnings figure, uh, 
by and large, is going to be what the market's going to trade off. You know, the Fed is waiting for inflation. They're waiting for signs of wage inflation. Uh, so that figure will be very crucial to see whether there's a potential that that actually happens in September. I think at the moment, correct me if I'm wrong, Elias, it's, uh, it's about 30%, I think, now for That's September. True. Um a couple of insights as well that I've just noticed during the week. Uh, Westpac had a really interesting note out. Uh, they said that in August, uh, almost job creation almost always disappoints. Uh, the last five years, it's been uh, 40,000 average uh, undershooting of, uh, of the payrolls figure. So at the moment, they're looking for 180k. So Westpac's uh, analysis is right, and the uh, and the actual uh, average holds true there. You're looking for a gain of about 140,000. Um, the other thing I noticed during the week, and Macquarie had an excellent note out about U.S. wage growth, and uh, they were talking uh, about breaking the U.S. states down by oil and non-oil states, uh, and they came up with a really interesting insight that non-oil states had annual uh, wage growth of about 2.9%, uh, and that was way, way, way quicker than what you're seeing in the oil states. Obviously, they're going through a, a painful period with the other oil price at the moment, uh, and it's obviously impacting a lot of uh, workers uh, you know, losing their jobs, also workers who are not getting pay increases, what they're used to in the past. So uh, you put those two things together. You know, Westpac's saying that we should be expecting there's going to be a miss in August payrolls, and uh, Macquarie's saying look for a wages breakout. So it, uh, it should make for an interesting, uh, interesting period at 10.30 uh, tomorrow evening. It certainly will be a rock and roll period on Friday, absolutely. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of our expectations, uh, you look at leading indicators like the initial jobless claims, uh, the ADP employment report that was released uh, overnight for August, we're looking for a fairly decent 180,000 job uh, gains for, for, for August in the U.S., but certainly the risks are to the downside. But again, I have to emphasize that even a soft payroll gain in the U.S., if it's offset by strong wage growth of over 2.5% year over year, it should still be positive for the U.S. dollar as U.S. interest rate expectations for September adjust higher. So what's your um, outlook now for the Australian dollar, say, as we go in uh, to the last four months of the year? I think there's scope for the Australian dollar to trade a little bit lower towards 73 cents. That's our forecast for end of year um, on a strong U.S. dollar, obviously. Uh, also softer commodity prices as the Fed begins to lift interest rates uh, or the risk of a Fed rate hike uh, uh, increases. And also because we're, we're looking for the RBA to cut rates again by 25 basis points in November. So all this should weigh on the Australian dollar over the, over the next few months uh, towards the end of the year. But a more sustainable or more significant downtrend in the Australian dollar is unlikely in our view because the global economic outlook has improved, uh, meaning commodity prices will remain relatively firm. And the Australian real interest rates are also a significant magnet for foreign capital at a time when interest rates around the world are negative or close to zero. So have you been um, surprised by the continuing strength? Uh, absolutely, there's the infra interest rate differential um, playing a big part in this. But uh, still trading up around at some points, you know, 77 cents um, for, for, you know, um, for a couple of weeks here and there. Um, have you been surprised by the, the strength of the Aussie this year? No, not really surprised. Uh, what, I mean, the, the major driver of the, late, of, of the strength in the Australian dollar uh, lately has been the, obviously the big surge we've had in iron ore prices. Uh, and, uh, and also the fact that interest rates around the world have, uh, have either gone, went lower 
meaning Australian interest rates in relative term were still fairly uh, attractive and, uh, relative to the rest of the world. Um, and, uh, and the global growth outlook also kind of uh, picked up a little bit. Uh, central banks either eased or, or are keeping monetary policy very stimulative. And at the same time, the prospect of more fiscal stimulus measure or infrastructure spending by government uh, are looking good. There's been some key announcement lately that uh, that are potentially showing that uh, governments around the world, and at least in the major economies, are about to ramp up uh, uh, capital spending. This has been a big shift in the conversation in, in even in recent weeks, which is basically governments, central bankers, uh, economists, starting to put a bit of pressure back on governments to say, you know, monetary policy can only go so far, and when you look around the world, um, you know, there's not much left in the locker. Yeah, absolutely. You look, it's, it's, it's very interesting. You know, right after Brexit, for instance, uh, and, and when the new UK uh, Prime Minister May was, uh, was sworn in, she essentially just uh, for, for ruled out the, uh, or, or ruled out uh, balancing the UK budget balance by 2020 and, uh, and emphasized that she was going to spend even more in terms of infrastructure spending. You look in the US, right, both presidential candidates, Trump and Hillary Clinton, are they're not talking about balancing the budget. They're talking about who's going to spend more, right? So, I mean, we're, we're, there is this shift happening right now. It's going to be slow. But when it, when, it, when it unfolds and when it does happen, it will be very supportive for global economic activity. It will be supportive for the global commodity complex, and it will underpin uh, the Australian dollar. Um, you know, um, that actually leads us very nicely um, into uh, this last little bit, which is um, talk a little bit about some of the things that we've found uh, surprising uh, about Australia. And I can kick off with um, with a ve very relevant um, economic and, well, I suppose politico-economic uh, point, which is the never-ending obsession with the level of the budget deficit here in Australia. Um, it just appears to be the mark of your performance in government is how big or small the, the, the deficit is. Um, you know, if the, if the deficit is, you know, this appears to be the, the sort of the only reason that a government gets elected is to control the budget. The, 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 you know, and it's, you know, it appears to be what treasurers just want to talk about all the time rarely straying into, you know, the mix of economic activity. Um, you know, uh, Scott Morrison has tried to get into, start this conversation a few times, but I think he finds himself sort of drifting back to this whole, um, this whole core argument about uh, how important it is to, uh, to make sure that you balance the budget and balance the budget faster than the other side, you know. Um, is that something that you found surprising? I mean, look, it's important for all governments to be able to manage their books, but uh, I just find this, is, it just takes up so much airtime in Australian political debate. Yeah, in terms of the, the political uh, debate here in Australia, I will not get involved in this. I'm not, uh, I don't follow it, so I, I don't know nothing about it. But in terms of what I can tell you is that you look at the example of Canada, for instance. Canada was one of the first countries to essentially you know, rule out the, 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 their, uh, their trying, to, but to, trying to balance the budget. And, and the main reason that was highlighted by our Prime Minister Trudeau was that, look, interest rates are so low right now, right? We're looking to spur growth. Debt is manageable overall. 
debt-to-GDP ratio in Canada and all the other major or G10 countries is fairly low in relative terms. And you've got bond yields essentially very low. It's, 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 it's essentially free money, if you will. Why not invest? Why not borrow, invest in productive investments that could generate a return? Yeah, and it's, uh, look, it's absolutely, I think, one of the big um, questions now for, for governments, and it's, it's happening around the world. And I think, you know, um, even here, um, we've seen, um, you know, some, some of, maybe the penny starting to drop a little bit, um, that, you know, when, when interest rates are, are this low, this is the time to um, go and build those infrastructure, big infrastructure pro projects that are going to unlock your productivity gains down, um, you know, down the track. Yeah, um, but Sarah Kamorley, who's one of our uh, colleagues at uh, uh, here at Business Insider, has just this week published. Uh, she's been away in the United States for the last three weeks, and she's just published this little feature about you know some things that she found really surprising um, when she was traveling in the United States. Um, one of them, and it was a great little list, and one of them was uh, uh, that, you know, going into, she went to Vegas for um, uh, a week and uh, for a conference, and uh, she, walking through the casinos and there's people smoking in them, and it's just like when you read this, people smoking indoors, when you live in Australia, like just the idea of anybody smoking in an enclosed space is horrifying. Um, and this is from a smoker too. Um, but uh, she also said that she went to In-N-Out Burger and um, she thought it had been massively overrated and she was really disappointed. Um, and uh, the other thing that she pointed out, which I, I know, remember from times that I've been in the States, you end up with $1 bills everywhere. Um, because you use them for tips, and they're just everywhere. And you know, was, you know, you're so used to in Australia having these dinky little coins in your pocket. Um, I think one of the things when I when I first came to Australia, one of the real things that really took me off guard was how beer is just used. I mean, I came here in my mid twenties, right? So there's you know obviously a lot of beer involved in, in you know just general life um, when you're at that stage in your life. But how beer is just used for everything. So that used on the barbecue. So you got your burger going there or your steak or whatever. Oh look, it's good. Just pour some beer on it. Like why not? It improves the flavour. That's Australian seasoning, mate. What are you talking about? Exactly. That's part of the other uh, citizenship test. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Paul's not an Australian citizen. He's, 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 he's thinking about becoming one surely, and that's going to be uh, question two, I believe, in the, uh, the, the citizenship test. <laughs> yeah. And what is the correct way to season a uh, 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 steak? Um, and the other thing, I remember seeing a documentary once about, you know, um, just camping. And you know how to you know how to enjoy yourself in the bush. And there was this recipe for damper bread, which involved getting a bag of flour, a bag of self-raising flour, and putting it in a tin, adding a can of beer to it, <laughs> closing it over, sticking it in the ground under the fire, and you get up in the morning and you know there's your so you know 101 um, ways of using beer that you never um, that you've never thought of. Australia has them all. Um, <laughs> Elias, anything um, surprising that you found about Australia since you moved here? Actually, yeah, a few things. Uh, first off, I thought it was going to be tropical weather. Uh, that was my expectations. Uh, I'd never, I'd never been further out west than uh, Los Angeles, so that was my first expectation. Second one was I was surprised how good and amazing the coffee is here. Uh, pleasantly surprised. And, um, and the other thing I was surprised is that you don't tip. But you, you know, you got to order your food at the at the counter if you're in a pub. You don't, not necessarily. To, you can't wait for a waiter to come and uh, 
give you your food and I struggle with this still yeah. I I'm I'm sort of a tipper I've been here for 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 14 years but I'm I'm a tipper right so I I don't know I just learned to do it or something uh, yeah and and I kind of feel bad not tipping um not so I won't tip for you know just buying a drink at a counter the way you would in the states but if somebody serves you food and all that kind of stuff I'll generally tend to tip um and some of the looks I get from my Australian friends are like, mate, don't tip. We don't tip in this country. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, and the other thing I have to say um, that is um, one of the things that I found really surprising is all of the stereotypes about, you know, there's loads of dangerous animals and all that kind of stuff. Completely true. Like huge cockroaches. There's friend, you know, when friends come from, from, from the States, and they're walking around in Sydney in the, in the evening and they, they, they and you forget about, you forget what this is like, you know, when you've been here as, as long as I have, I suppose. But, you know, people will be visiting from the States or from Ireland and they go, oh my God, you have cockroaches here that fly. And you're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course we do. But, um, you know, people aren't used to that um, when they're from Europe and the, and the States. Is there anything else? That comes to mind right now, not really, uh, but I think, I think, yeah, the insect was quite the, uh, it's, it was, it wasn't a very pleasant surprise, let's put it that way. The, the cockroaches under the bed and, uh, yeah. even walking, walking on George Street, I remember at the beginning, it was probably around this October, I think, and uh, I had a, a cockroach just flew on me. Uh, yeah. that, 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 yeah, that was quite, uh, yeah. Yeah, what is that thing? Um, so, David, you're from here, so you've got to fly the flag. Um, so, you know, what would you say, what would be the things about Australia that you think would surprise people? It's a very interesting question. Um, and I'm actually going to be a little bit serious about this one, uh, surprisingly enough. First time for me for, uh, for everything for this one. Um, in my adult life, I found that Australia's, and Australians in general have become far too, uh, what's the right word, too serious about life. Back, back when I was an early adult and, uh, and growing up in Australia, it just seemed that it was a, a lot easier going. Uh, people were more relaxed. Um, and over recent years, uh, you know, probably going back a decade or so, it just seems that uh, everyone's become far too serious uh, from what they used to be. Uh, particularly a lot of, you know, I hate to use this, this term, but nanny state does come to mind, being told what you can and cannot do. Um, we were just talking about the States earlier. You know, I travelled around and, look, I enjoy beer, obviously being in Australia and, uh, and, and all the barbecuing with beers and the like. Uh, and I found that, uh, not that I partook in this sort of behaviour, but um, they're a lot more easygoing if people want to go and have a good time and, and have a drink. Um, you don't have like some surly bouncer standing over the top of you saying, no, you can and cannot do that. Um, other aspects, you know, being a Sydney sider by trade from, uh, from most of my life, um, as the city's grown larger, I think people have got far less time for each other as well, which I think is a bit sad. Uh, just everyone seems to be so impatient and uh, you know, having to try and get ahead of the next person that we've kind of lost a bit of you know, what being Australian was about, what giving everyone a fair go, uh, being understanding. It's still there, but uh, from my, my perceptions that I can see, it, it seems to be far less than what was the case in the past. Yeah, um, well, I, th I think, um, you know, I, I certainly have seen in the, the you know, sort of uh, time that I've been here, I've seen 
I think some of that. Um, I think maybe some of it is, um, is is part of you know getting older and maybe becoming a little bit more serious yourself. But I certainly do think people, you know, people, a lot of people are very afraid to say anything about anybody um, these days because it's just so um, easy to um, you know to um, have people call you out and say, well, you, obviously you can't say that. Yeah, I'll just give you a very quick example. Uh, I live in the city of Sydney council area, and. Uh, I was walking out of my house the other day. There was a, a gentleman who had just gone and, and parked his uh, motorbike. He was just ducking in to go and get something from the shop, and I honestly believe because he still had the motor running. But he went and left it uh, left in a no parking zone. Out of nowhere, a, a council ranger comes up, books him, and I just found that that to me that's one of those things like you know, it's a really quiet suburban street. It's not in like it's not George Street. It's not Pitt Street in a peak hour. This is you no know, back streets of Sydney. And this is the kind of land that we've become, you know, that, you know, if someone's going to duck into the shop to go and get, uh, you know, something, we're going to go and book them for being in, like, you know, a, a no-standing zone where there's no traffic around. You know, God help Australia, you know, back in the, uh, you know, the 80s and 90s because, you know, people duck into uh, to the, the milk bar, the double park. You know, we lived in that day and age. Now no one would have any money to be paying, uh, paying fees all the time. Yeah, um, um, Elias, I'm going to take a wild guess, but Montreal, uh, <laughs> it'll be that yeah, you're from. That's yeah? right, yeah, yeah, the French part of, uh, of Canada, that's right. And um, what do you miss about, um, at a, about home? Surprisingly, the snow. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the snow, because the snow, it's cold, no insects. Yeah, right. Magnificent, I tell you. <laughs> um, and we, are you a big skier or a snowboarder or anything? No, really. No, no. no. But I, I just miss the the the. Uh, I just miss the snow. I guess I I, I never thought I was going to say that, but I do miss it. So, however, don't get me wrong. I much prefer to be here in beautiful Sydney uh, than. Uh, under six feet of snow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I have to say, there's one thing that the, the um, famous uh, weather feature from my home country, Ireland, uh, is rain, and I certainly don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't miss that a bit. Um, you've been listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. Um, our guest this week has been um, Elias Haddad, uh, who's senior currency strategist at the Commonwealth Bank. Uh, Elias, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show. It's been a great chat. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, this show is produced by uh, Josh Nicholas. You can find us on iTunes where you can rate us uh, and leave us a review. And you can also find us on the web at businessinsider.com.au, at tw on Twitter at B-I-A-U-S. And you can find us on Facebook too. Uh, just search for Business Insider Australia. Uh, I've been here with David Scott. Great to be here and I'll see you next week. Uh, and I've been Paul Colgan. Thanks very much. Bye. Today's episode was delivered by Australia Post. They put everything behind your business, helping you save time and money. And with My Post Business, you can save at least 10% when you send on average five eligible parcels a week. Get more info and see the terms and conditions at auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.